Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And uh, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the, uh, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord uh, in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We, have come, we, uh, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant for with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from uh, what... He had with him, he took a present to his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 uh, ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female goats and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between uh, drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. And likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed out ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. He touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for this day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me your name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat of the sinew of uh, the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip 
on the sinew of her thigh. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, when we come to your word, there are so many surprises there for us that we find out uh, that you are not how we would expect you to be and you act in strange ways. And yet as we dig and give our hearts and minds to your word, we find that your ways are so perfect and uh, that there's such food, there's such hope, um, such truth in your word. So we ask that you would send your spirit to be our teacher. I pray that you would uh, take the words of my mouth and apply them by your spirit to the lives of those who are sitting here, that you would draw our hearts to faith in our Savior Jesus, and that you would be our teacher, and that you would give us comfort and give us hope by your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we are looking at a passage this morning uh, which details a, a wrestling match that uh, Jacob has with the Lord himself. So this strange man shows up and they have a wrestling match. And I, you know, one of the things about wrestling, I don't know how many of you have ever wrestled in high school or as a sport. Wrestling is uh, probably one of the most emotionally intense sports there is. Actually, I wrestled uh, when I was in middle school. I was a sixth grader and um, decided to go out for wrestling. I had a friend who wrestled, and um, I, I remember in early the fall of sixth grade, I had my first match. Uh, it was the, the middle school across town, and uh, it was kind of the middle school where all the gang members went and things, so, you know, we were going, kind of shaking on the bus of who are we going to have to wrestle there, and and in the beginning of this match, uh, they just started kind of grabbing people from both sides and throwing them out on the mat. Like, okay, you're going to wrestle this guy. And you could throw out, and, you know, I'm in my shorts and white shirt. Like, okay, who am I going to wrestle? And, uh, and they, they throw me into this, uh, the, you know, I'm a sixth grader, and there's this eighth grader that they throw me in with. And I remember him uh, being a foot taller than me. Uh, and uh, he definitely had a mustache. And, uh, and, you know, he probably was old enough to vote and was still in eighth grade. And, you know, I'm in my, you know, wrestling gear, and he's in his jeans. He didn't bother to change. I don't need any athletic gear to handle this. And, uh, and so we're getting ready to wrestle, and, um, and I'm, I'm looking at him. And uh, usually when you start the match, you know, you kind of dance around in circles. You're like, how am I going to get in there? And so I'm getting ready to do that. As soon as they blow the whistle, he runs at me picks me up and starts running. He runs right off the mat. And in the corner of the gym, there were one of those uh, uh, chalkboards uh, that roll around, you know, that you can flip over, and he just throws me right through the chalkboard. And I'm laying there like, oh, that's not what I was expecting wrestling to be like. And so, and we come back, we come back in the mat, and next whistle, five seconds, he slams me on the ground, and I'm, I'm just in tears. <laughs> and this mustached eight, eighth grader was just uh, strangling me on the ground. And I'll tell you, there's no other sport I've lost in, you know, every sport there is. And there's no sport that is more humiliating to lose in than wrestling. <laughs> When you have someone grinding you into the ground and uh, you feel your weakness, you feel helpless, you feel out of control. And uh, what we have here is a story where <laughs> Jacob has a wrestling match with the Lord. A, and, and actually, you know, little wrestling match in middle school is six minutes long. This was an all-night battle. Sweat, clawing, fighting, probably punching, brawling in the dark. And he's wrestling with the Lord. 
And through this, the Lord is revealing to him, showing to him his helplessness, his weakness, his dependence on God. And God is taking this wrestling match, taking this battle, this struggle, and shaping Jacob into the man that God has chosen Jacob to be. So he's using this battle for that. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to kind of look at some of the, uh, the details of this struggle that they have uh, with one another and kind of reflect on, on you know, compare it to the, the trials uh, that we have that often feel like we are wrestling with God. And there, there are interesting details in here, and I want to just say two things pretty much. First of all, uh, draw uh, the nature of this struggle. What, what are some of the odd details that uh, Moses, who wrote this account, put in this uh, about the thing that actually happened when Jacob wrestles with the Lord? And what is the result of the struggle? What is God trying to produce in Jacob by having this physical battle with him? Uh, what is he trying to produce in him? And hopefully as we look at this, uh, you know, we can see that he's, God's trying to do similar, similar purposes with us. As he does strange things, he shows up in our lives in strange ways like wrestling with us like he does in Jacob's life. So we're going to look at these two things. First of all, we're going to look at the nature of the struggle. And um, there are a number of observations I think are relevant for us. And the first is this. Um, that Jacob struggles with the Lord as a believer. When Jacob has a battle with the Lord, it's in the context of being a believer, someone who, you know, he's, he has faith in God. He's tasted God's grace. And, uh, and uh, you know, just to give a little context to the story, um, you know, we've been looking at Jacob's life. Jacob, uh, early on, you know, he's had a number of, of uh, conflicts with his brother Esau. He stole, you know, he got Esau to sell him the birthright. Esau's the older brother, and he sold him a pot of stew so that he could get the birthright. And then later on, he deceives his father Isaac so that the fa- his father gives him the, the blessing of the firstborn. And Esau, his brother, Esau was a hunter. And uh, basically, uh, Esau had decided that he was going to hunt down Jacob. He wanted to kill Jacob. His own brother wanted to murder him. So Jacob, it, that is the great fear of his life, is his brother Esau. And so what he's done for the last 20 years is he left home to flee from his brother Esau, to get away from his fear. And he went and he was a slave under his father Laban. He worked for his father Laban. He, he got married. He had a bunch of children. He got really rich while he was uh, working for, for Laban. And now he's coming back home, and he's, he's um, on the edge of, of the promised land, and he's about to face his big fear, the fear of his life. The one thing that troubles him more than anything, Esau, he's about to face him again. He's 20 years, and he doesn't know how, and, uh, what, Jacob, or, or what Esau is thinking of him. You see that there in verse 6. And uh, the messengers returned to Jacob. He sent some messengers to Esau saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Uh, Jacob is in fear. He is about uh, to face the fear of his life, the anxiety of his life. He's about to deal with it. And um, what we learn in this passage is something about Jacob's spiritual life as he's facing that fear. What's happening with him? Um, in, there's this prayer that he prays to the Lord. And actually, Gordon Wenham, who's commentator on Genesis, says that in prayer... The worshiper's deepest feelings are revealed. So these verses are rightly uh, regarded as the most important for understanding this narrative. We're seeing uh, Jacob's deepest feelings in this, in this prayer. And this is what he says, verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy 
of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. Uh, for with only my staff I cross this Jordan. Now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, uh, the mothers and the children. For you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. What is he describing? This is, we're getting a picture into the deepest feelings of, his, of, of Jacob's heart. And what is he describing? What is it, you know, when he's on the brink of facing his fears, what does he say to God? This is the thing that is most important that defines my life. He's, he says, I am not worthy of anything that you have given to me of your steadfast love. He describes grace. He says, the basic truth about my life is that God has been gracious to me. He's been kind. He has not dealt with me according to my sin, but according to his grace, towards his steadfast love. And what that means is that, you know, as we think about, you know, I, I know that many of you, even now, have um, some of the deepest fears, the deepest struggles, um, the, de the big battle that is going to happen in your life. You may even be facing it right now. You may be walking through it. And what this passage says is that before you can be, even begin to think about how am I going to deal with this, what are the steps to walk through, what are the practical steps for dealing with trials and struggles, is you need to know the deepest question of your identity. Who are you? And what he's describing is the identity of a Christian. That's the identity of a Christian. You know, what does it mean to be a Christian? A Christian is not someone who's a good person who does, decides, you know, I'm going to follow all God's rules. A, a Christian is someone who says, I can't follow God's rules. And Jacob is seeing his life, and he says, I don't deserve anything from God's hand. Um, I, if anything, I deserve God's wrath. I deserve his displeasure. And yet his displeasure, he's placed on Jesus. And all the blessings that Jesus deserved, God has placed on me. Why? What, for what reason? Why would God do all these kind things? For why would God be kind to me? It's because of God's goodness, not because of my goodness. And what he has is that's his identity at the very uh, base of who he is. Before he walks in and faces the biggest fears of his life, he has to have that straight first. He's a believer. And that's a question for you as well. As you think about, you know, I'd like some, I'd like practical uh, wisdom on how to face my fears and uh, face the, you know, the giants of my life. The bigger question is, is who is your identity? Do you know the God, the God of grace? And right here at the end of Jacob's life, he's reflecting back on the 20 years that he's been a slave, that he's run away from Esau, that he's deceived his father, that he's stolen the birthright. And he says, what's that story about? Is the story of God's grace to me. Do you know that grace? That's the first question. But what we also see is that his struggle, he struggles not just as a believer, as someone who knows God's grace and who's trusting in God's grace, but also Jacob's struggle uh, struggles alone. Jacob is someone who's struggling along. So, you know, after Jacob prays, prays this prayer, he begins sending all these gifts to Esau. He's trying to make Esau, appease Esau. He's sending all these, you know, camels full of gifts. And he says, tell him it's from me. Tell him it's from me. Maybe he'll like me. Maybe he won't want to kill me anymore with his 400 men. So he's sending all, the, all these men. And then um, it says this in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. So he's crossing into uh, the promised land. He uh, took them and sent them across the stream and everything else, and Jacob was alone. For some reason, Jacob wanted to be alone. As uh, he is beginning, getting ready to face his brother, you know, this family that's been torn apart, 
His brother's got 400 men. He's hunting him down. He thinks he's hunting him down. And, uh, and he says, I need to be alone. And he goes back into the dark and into the night, and he's by himself. And it's when he is alone that he is going to have an encounter with God where he's going to begin to face God. And when he's going to wrestle with God, he's going to talk to God. And let me just tell you that um, I think it is true that God wants us to be in relationship with people. God speaks to us and, you know, uh, guides us and uh, consoles us through people. And uh, actually, I think for many of us, you know, being alone may not be... uh, (laughs) the main thing that uh, you need to hear today. It may be that, you know, not isolating yourself is what you need to experience God, is to be in more community. But for some of us, it could be that our whole spiritual life, maybe our family, uh, we grew up in a family that everyone was Christians. We grew up in the church, or uh, we have friends. All of our friends are Christians. And our whole spiritual life is defined by people. And we've never come to a point where we've actually had to face God and depend on God alone. And I think that um, when we face the big battles, the big struggle, the big wrestle, that we are the trial, the fight of our life, there is going to be at least a period in that where we're going to have to face just me and God. And for Jacob, this struggle has, it, it has come uh, to that time. And it is only in that context when he's going to have his deepest experience of who God is, is he's willing to bring, uh, to face God alone. But there's something strange about this This his experience with God, the spiritual encounter he has, and this is the third thing about the struggle, is that he struggles with God with his body. He struggles with God with his body. Um, you know, uh, this is the definitive spiritual moment of, of Jacob's life, and, um, and, yet it's, um, uh, and yet it's a wrestling match. Uh, there's blood, there's punching, there's elbows, um, there's uh, knees and uh, grinding, you know, biting maybe. I don't know what they're doing. This is a, th- I mean, if you're fighting all night and you don't know who this is and someone's come in the middle of the dark and you're, you're attacking them, this is going to be a physical encounter. This is the, the definitive spiritual moment of his life and yet it involves his body, his flesh and blood. And I think that's one of the things that we underestimate is the significance that in our uh, spiritual lives, the role that our bodies play in the struggle that we're going to be facing uh, with God. And, you know, actually, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a a space trilogy in the 40s. And uh, in the spec, uh, it's a science fiction series. And in the second story, it's called Paralandra, is a story uh, about this guy Ransom who goes to Venus. And in the story, Venus is kind of a new planet. So uh, there's this woman on Venus who's kind of the eve of, she's the first person on Venus. And uh, it turns out that the devil has also possessed this, this guy named Weston and sent him to the planet also to deceive the Eve of Venus to try to get her to disobey God so that uh, Venus will, you know, become a broken, fallen planet like Earth is. And so uh, Ransom, the guy's name, goes there. He, um, many of the chapters are about these dialogues that they have where the... the, the uh, the devil guy is trying to deceive this woman, and they're having all these conversations, these philosophical conversations about spiritual things. And Ransom's sitting there, and he's trying to, to battle, you know, argue against the devil, and, and he's just losing every argument. And he just gets everything wrong, and, and it seems like he's going to lose the battle, and she's going she's to disobey God and, and believe the devil, and, and she's being deceived over these chapters. And so one night, Ran, uh, Ransom... Uh, after a whole night of discussions, he's l- sitting against a tree, and it's become dark. 
And he said, and it describes that he feels this presence of God um, surrounding him in the darkness. And he realizes that God has really sent him there to, uh, you know, save this planet, to keep this from happening. And he says, but, I, you know, I, I'm not smart enough. I've been trying to reason through um, all the arguments and arguments against the devil. And then all of a sudden he realizes that he wasn't sent there to argue. He was sent there to fight the man with his bare hands. And he says, no, that seems so crude that this would be my spiritual uh, event of my life is going to involve my body, my, my fingernails, um, my teeth, blood, and that I could die. I'm going to try to strangle this guy. That's how I'm supposed to save this planet is it's a flesh and blood. And it's this great scene of this bringing together of the spiritual life and our physical bodies. And one of the things that we, uh, we often don't know as Christians is that when God made us, we're not, you know, it's not like this, um, our, our life, you know, you know, the kind of Greek idea is that our bodies are this prison, but who you really are is your soul. But the Bible says that you are made in the image of God, both your body and your soul are made in the image of God. And that you commune with God with your body and your soul. That's why we're going to eat bread and drink wine as a, the climax of our worship is we're going to eat something. We're going to use our bodies. And we underestimate the role that the struggle we're going to have with God is going to involve our flesh and our blood. It is going to be a struggle. Um, it is going to be painful, even in our bodies. And I think we underestimate sometimes how, uh, you know, you know that. You know, some of you, if you've had serious physical ailments, you know that when you're um, experiencing that pain, how hard it is to commune with God. How hard it is to talk to God or to read your Bible or to, or to pray um, is because your soul and your body are tied together. And here for Jacob, his battle is physical. Okay? Interesting. But there's another interesting part about this battle is that in his struggle, he struggles with a hidden God. Um, God is concealed in the struggle. And now you see this, verse 24, uh, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now, I want you to think about that. Jacob, he sends his family across the river, or across the stream, and he now wants to be alone in the dark at night. And all of a sudden, a man shows up <laughs> fighting him. I want you to picture what Jacob's thinking before this, right? Because he's, he's gone across, it's in the dark, and the, what's he thinking about? He's thinking about his brother, who's a hunter, who's got 400 men with him, who's trying to find him. And so he's laying there in the dark by himself, and every noise in the bushes that he hears, what is he thinking that noise is? He thinks it's Esau who's come to hunt him down, to find him. And so all of a sudden, when a man pounces on him and starts battling him in the dark, who does he think it is? He thinks it's Esau. He thinks he's, the fear has come upon him, and he's facing it now, and he's wrestling with it. And... Um, and the, the strange thing is um, that the Lord has disguised himself as Esau. He's disguised himself as Jacob's biggest fear. And now Jacob thinks that he's fighting his biggest fear, but he's actually fighting the Lord. He's wrestling with the Lord. And what that means is that uh, I, I think, um, you know, what uh, Proverbs 25 says, that it is, it is the glory of the Lord to conceal, him, uh, to conceal things. And... Um, the man comes in the dark and he says, I need to leave before sunbreak. Why? Because he doesn't want Jacob to see him. He's hiding himself. And even Jacob uh, asks him in verse 29, please tell me your name. But he says, why is it, why is it that you ask me in, uh, my name? 
He doesn't tell him. He's concealing his identity. Hidden in this man is the presence of God. And uh, over the course of the night, uh, Jacob comes to realize that who he's actually wrestling with is not the person that he fears, but actually the Lord. And one of the things why that's significant to us is what we don't know often is that when we are facing the big struggle, the big battle of our life, whatever that is, you know what that is. The big, um, if it's a difficult marriage, if it's a, diff a difficult boss, or not having a job, or if it's depression, whatever it is you say, this is the fight of my life, that I can feel it's taking my whole body, and I feel alone in. Those are our Esau's. Those are the things that we're fearing. And what this passage says is that who we're actually wrestling with is not Esau. It's the Lord. It is the Lord who is coming and who has initiated um, the, the fight. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, um, you know, just recently I was having a, kind of a season, this is just a few weeks ago, where I was feeling very uh, aimless and um, uh, weak and uh, confused, just even about my life, and um, I was just praying, I was on my knees, and the Lord brought me to uh, Psalm 23, and I was reading through Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and, uh, you know, I come to the passage about um, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and all of a sudden it occurred to me, whenever I'd read that passage, if you know that famous passage, uh, uh, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I always pictured myself uh, by myself, walking through the valley, and then kind of praying, thinking of God up in heaven somewhere, and hoping, you know, God, will you be with me, make sure everything uh, goes okay as I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death. And it occurred to me that in the passage, it's a passage about a shepherd. And that when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of the death, death, how did I get there? The Lord led me. He was shepherding and walked me. He led me walk right into that battle, right into that darkness. And what we have here is the battle is the, the fight that Jacob is fighting is a fight that God has initiated with him. God has come and fought. And I'll tell you the hope in that. That um, we are actually not fighting our greatest fears. We're actually wrestling God. The hope in that is that means that the fear that we're facing is calculated. Whatever struggle you have has been calculated by God. I mean, one of the, you know, the, the kind of uh, funny things about this passage is it says, verse 25, when the man saw, he did not prevail against Jacob. The man, this is the Lord, says he didn't prevail against Jacob. He's holding back. He's fighting just tough enough, just hard enough, so that Jacob can actually overcome him. And then it says, and he touched his hip pocket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. I mean, he could have just uh, annihilated Jacob in an instant, but he, the, the, the level of the fight has been calculated just right for Jacob. And that's true for you and me. The struggle, the fight that we have before us has been calculated perfectly by God. It is exactly the fight we need. It is exactly the fight that will draw us out. And that gives hope to it. And so uh, what we see in this, in this passage is um, that the nature of this battle is that Jacob fights really as a Christian, as someone who's believed in grace, but it has come time for him to face God alone. He can't go through someone else. He can't depend on someone else. It's him and God alone. And it's with his whole body. There's no part of him that's being left out. His soul and his body is completely involved. And it is the Lord who's hidden in the battle. Okay? But the question is, why? 
Why is God making life a battle, a struggle, a fight? Why is he doing that for you? Why is he doing that for Jacob? Why, why does it have to be this path? Why does this have to be the path? Well, I, a few things, the result of the struggle. Two results. First, this struggle leads to confession. It leads Jacob to confession, to be honest about who he really is. And um, you see this, verse 26. Uh, then he said, uh, as Jacob, or no, sorry, the man said, uh, or the Lord, uh, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. A great line as he's struggling, a great encouragement to us who are struggling to say to the Lord, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And in verse 27, and the man said to him, what is your name? What is your name? That's the question. You want to be blessed? What is your name? And of course, this is a big question for Jacob, right? Because first of all, uh, this was a question he was asked several chapters ago by his father when he dressed up like Esau, and he was trying to get the blessing from his father. And what did he say? <laughs> what, did, uh, what did Isaac say to him? Who are you? And he lied, and he said, I'm your son Esau. I'm your firstborn. He lied to get the blessing. And now the, the Lord comes to him and says, uh, says now I'm going to ask you, what's your name? Tell me who you really are. And it's in, this, in, it's in the context of the battle that God is drawing out who Jacob really is. And let me just tell you that your situations, your trials, do not determine your character. Your trials reveal your character. They reveal who we are. They don't determine who we are. They reveal who we are. And through them, they, uh, so our situations don't define our character. They reveal our character and, uh, and provide a way so that God can transform us. And what God is doing here is he's revealing, who are you really? Who are you? Tell me, Jacob. And yet that name Jacob is a name that uh, Jacob's been carrying with him his whole life. It means a deceiver. And so for him to say, my name's Jacob, is not just to tell him his name, his true identity. It's not, but it's also, it's a confession. He says, I'm a, I'm a liar. That's who I am. I'm a liar, and I've spent my whole life controlling people, deceiving people, pretending to be someone I'm not. And it's in that moment that God has drawn out of Jacob a confession of who he really is in the, in the context of this battle. And once he's drawn that out, this is, what he, this is what the Lord says in verse 28. And then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. You have been defined by that name. You're a liar. I'm going to redefine you. I'm going to rename you. But uh, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And let me just tell you, this is really at the heart of what the gospel is. What the gospel says is that we come to God as sinners, and our sin actually defines who we are. We're just, we don't just make mistakes in life, you know, hey, no one's perfect, you know, everyone makes mistakes. It's not like that. Our hearts are actually, in, uh, um, our lives are actually an offense to God. We, the, the words and thoughts that actually come out of us are an offense to God. And yet he says, I'm going to give you a new name. Christ has died for you. You've been washed. Now you're my beloved. Now you're, my, you're a son of God. You've been adopted. This is your new identity. I'm going to place that on you. And it only comes through our confession. And so uh, uh, the, the Lord is drawing out of Jacob through this struggle a confession of who he really is so that he can rename him. And he renames him. Um, but the second thing that is the result of this struggle is that the struggle leads to a limp. It leaves Jacob wounded and limping. And um, I'll tell you, one of the things that, 
makes this passage so different from what we hear in our culture. You know, our culture, I, you may have said this as well, is, you know, when people are going through hard times, going through struggles, you say, well, you know what, it's only going to make you stronger in the end. Uh, you're just going to be stronger because of what you've gone through. And, um, but the fact is, uh, in Jacob's situation, it didn't make him stronger. It made him weaker. He left with his hip socket out, and he couldn't walk anymore. He left wounded, right? You see that there in verse 31. The sun rose upon him as he, uh, and, uh, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. And one of the things that God wanted to do in Jacob's life was not to make him stronger, but to make him weaker. Why would God want to make him weaker? <laughs> why, would, why would God want us to be weak? Because it turns out that God himself is the God of weakness. And we look at these things, the struggle that, that Jacob has had, that he was alone, that he struggled in his body, and uh, that the Lord was hidden from him. This is only a taste of the greater struggle that the greater Jacob was going to have. Because who is the greater Jacob? The Lord Jesus. And when he died on the cross, he was alone. He was abandoned by all of his friends, and he was even forsaken by God himself. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, uh, and he struggled in his body. He bore the curse in his body on the tree, is what First uh, Peter says. And uh, he bore it in, in his body on a tree, and God was concealed from him. He was alone. And it was in, uh, and, um, and whereas Jacob has just received a light blow from the Lord, the massive blow landed on Jesus. He got the curse that we deserved, so that we get, should get the blessing that he deserved. And it, is, uh, and it is through that that now our, our blows, the, Lord, the, ble- the blows that the Lord gives us in our fight and our struggles against the Lord are now light blows that bring us to him and that teach us weakness. And uh, let me just tell you, this is exactly what the Apostle, uh, this is what the Apostle Paul says in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 12. As he's talking about, here's the Apostle, um, uh, you know, the man who's writing uh, books of the Bible, he's uh, uh, spreading the church, and uh, you know, commissioned by the Lord Jesus. And he describes his own life this way, that a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Bible completely inverts what our culture says. God wants us to be weak, because in our weakness, we have fellowship with Jesus, the weak God who became weak for us. And that's what God is producing in us. And uh, this great hope that in that weakness we may know God. And that's what, that's what Jacob says it here. Um, as he leaves this scene and then goes to face his fear, his brother Esau, he says, verse 30, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And that's what God is giving to us as well through our struggle, through the fight of our life. May God give us strength, or not strength, weakness, (laughs) to endure it, to prevail. And we ask, uh, let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that you come to us and that all of our struggles, all of our trials have been calculated by you. They have um, 
They have been shaped. They have been crafted just for us that you may draw out of us faith and lead us to our Savior Jesus, the one who has struggled and has been wounded for us. Give us faith in him and in that grace and give us an identity of grace that we may know our new name as we uh, face the trials that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.